Well, as you're sitting down, why don't you turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 15, and today in our verse-by-verse exposition of this great book, we're going to be covering verses 20 and 21. At long last, we're almost done with Romans. It's been kind of the undergirding theme ever since we came here five years ago. And finally, in another few weeks, we'll be completing it. We've come to what, in a lot of ways, is the climax of the whole book. We've been looking at Paul's passion for ministry uh, and how this really is kind of the consummation of the whole book of Romans, the purpose of all the doctrine that uh, we've been going through, how how we're saved to serve. Saved to serve, to be a channel of God's grace that was poured out so richly. He meant it to be poured out through us, so for us to be rivers and not, re- not reservoirs, rivers of life to the world. We've been looking at the secret of Paul's passion so that we can learn more about it, that it has to do with, like, duh, having a ministry in the first place, one that you know is a lofty ministry in spite of what might be uh, look to be a, a lowly appearance, just like Paul's ministry to the know-nothing uh, uh, Gentiles. We, we also saw that the secret of Paul's passion also had to do with having a lowly identity, a lowly identity in which you recognize the source of all that happens through you. I know many of you do it in different ways. I do it when I ascend these stairs. I do what Spurgeon did when he got up to preach. I say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit with each each step. Without you, it ain't going to amount to anything, Lord. The the source of all that happens through us, a lowly identity that recognizes in that. And you do that, and you'll end up reveling in the surge of God through you just like we saw Paul did. And then finally this week, the secret of Paul's passion has to do with having really a laboring intensity. A laboring intensity. We're going to see today how to stay in shape. How to keep from becoming a uh, fat baby Christian. To tee it up, I'd like to begin by listening to a song that Amy Grant sang years ago, one that's kind of motivated me uh, over the years to to stay in shape spiritually. She, She begins, I know a man, maybe you know him too, you never can tell, he might even be you. I've fallen into this myself. He'll never grow, she sings, if he never gets fed. But on the other hand, he'll never stop, he'll never stop growing if all he ever does is feed, sit and soak in the pew, you know. The song is called, fittingly, Fat Baby. Listen. I know a man, maybe you know him too. You never can tell he might even be you. He knelt at the altar and that was the end. He saved and that's all that matters to him. My spiritual tummy, it can't take too much. One day a week he gets his spiritual lunch. On Sunday he puts on his spiritual best and gives his language a spiritual rest. He's just a fat He's just a fat little baby. He wants his bottle and it's on me. But he says doctrine leaves him cold as ice. He's been baptized, sanctified, redeemed by 
the books of the Bible. And John 3:16, he's got the biggest King James you've ever seen. I've always wondered if he'll grow up someday. He's mama's boy and he likes a dead wood. If you happen to see him, tell him I said he'll never grow if he never gets big. He's just a bad little baby. He wants his bottle and it don't mean maybe. He's simple, solid food once or twice. But he's the doctor. I don't know about you, but when I listen to that, that is kind of the last thing I want to be. <laughs> the fact is, though, when God looks at the pew, he sees that, at least in some people. Maybe all of us tend to be that way sometimes. That is lukewarm, uh, couch potato Christianity. That's exactly what fat baby Christians across the nation are doing these days. They're being bottle-fed from the pulpit, and that's about it. Sermonettes for Christianettes. And they're in desperate need of exercise. So the question is, how do we stay in shape? How do we, you know, keep uh, spiritually fit? How do you keep from becoming a fat baby Christian? Well, in good part, the secret of Paul's passion, what kept him, you know, hale and hearty and fit as a fiddle in peak condition had to do with having a laboring intensity. That's a good part of uh, how to keep from becoming a fat baby. A laboring intensity. Romans 15, and we'll back it up to verse 18. He's telling about his calling in life and what God has done through him. And he says, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, he's really going for it, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Now, last time we saw that Paul had this lowly identity. He had this this laid-back identity through which the Spirit could surge, so much that as we read, he would not presume to speak of anything except what Christ had accomplished through him. The Spirit surged because he recognized, again, the source of his effectiveness. But he also recognized that he had a part to play too. And so he had, this week, a laboring intensity through which the Spirit could surge, that primed the pump for the Spirit. Paul stayed in the Spirit by staying in shape. Because even the Spirit of God has a really hard time surging through fat baby Christians. 
This passage makes it clear that there's a link between God's part and our part. By, by, between being surrendered with each step as you walk to the pulpit or whatever. Between being surrendered so God can work and being in shape so God can work. Paul says, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me and the power of signs and wonders. That's what we focused on last time. Paul's depending identity. But then look at his laboring intensity, reading on. So that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, verse 19, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named. It's called cold turkey evangelism. That really requires a laboring intensity. That's what he was into, to go where no man has gone before, right? Like Captain Kirk in Star Trek. That's what he wanted to do, where Christ was not already named, which is a lot of work. That I might not build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. It's called starting from scratch. Building, you know, from the ground up is called making work for yourself. And that kept him in shape. Which leads us to our first of two very simple points today. To, to stay in shape, you need first, you need to keep your focus. You need to find and keep your focus. You need to be focused. Every, uh, elsewhere, Paul said, I run in such a way, not as without aim, 2 Corinthians 9.26, I box in such a way as not beating the air. He means several things here, but one of them is that he stays focused. He, that he's centered in this intensity of his and not, not, not scattered. And that's exactly what we see in our passage for today. First, as we've already seen, it says he focused on the Gentiles and not the Jews. He narrowed it down. Second, he aspired to preach the gospel among the Gentiles. That is, he focused on evangelism and in particular, church planting. Third, as we've seen, he aspired to preach the gospel where Christ was not already named. That is, he was an evangelist who planted churches among Gentiles who had never heard the gospel before. These days we call them unreached people groups. Not everyone's called there, but he was. All told, he had a laboring intensity that was focused in its passion. Not like Lucy. I don't know if you read the uh, strip when she said to Charlie Brown, Charlie, I'm thinking of starting some new hobbies. Charlie Brown, that's a good idea, Lucy. The people who get the most out of life are those who really try to accomplish something. Lucy, accomplish something? I thought we were just supposed to keep busy. Paul had this laboring intensity that wasn't just, you know, busy. It wasn't frenzied. It wasn't frazzled. It was focused. Now, some are fat baby Christians because they, they've been there, they've done that, and now they're burnt out. They've paid their dues and they've paid dearly. And often the reason why they've paid dearly is because they were frazzled, frenzied rather than focused. I think one of the main reasons why those who have lots of energy end up being just busy is because they take kind of this reactive stance to life. 
I do this myself sometimes. We talked about this at the beginning of the year. Uh, a reactive stance is, w- is one where everything else sets the agenda for me. It's where, it's where my world, my ministry, the tasks I have to do, my job, the kids, the expectations of other people, all these and many more set the agenda for my life. And what you do is you get up in the morning and then you just kind of react to whatever comes your way, however important or unimportant it may be. Um, uh, and you end up being driven rather than called. And that's a prescription for burnout. Driven rather than called. And that happens because most people are asking the wrong questions. Uh, question. They're asking this. They're asking, how can I possibly get all these things done today? Anyone ever ask that question? I hope it's not just me. Few people are asking the right question, and that is this. What good thing today must I sacrifice for the sake of the best? For the sake of my call? For the sake of pleasing Him, who am I going to have to displease today? There's, you, know, you know, there's far more need out there than you're ever going to meet. And so, by definition, uh, the, the need is not the call. Even Christ didn't heal all the lepers in Palestine. And, and, and He didn't go much to the Gentiles. Rather, for the most part, He said He was called to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And among them, He focused on twelve, of course. And among them, He focused on three, Peter, James, and John. And among them, He focused on one because He was focused. He was called and not driven. And so for us, too, there's more to do than we can ever possibly get done. There's more opportunities for ministry than you can possibly respond to. And so your only hope, if you're going to be like Paul, is to separate the call from the clamor. From all the voices that are calling for your attention, you need to hear the still, small voice. Paul was called, not driven. He stayed focused. He knew his call, his purpose, his passion, and he stuck to it. How about you? You know, our first ministry uh, was was years ago in Houston, Texas. We got there back in 1983, and I I soon felt like, you know, pulled in a hundred different directions. We were, I was a pastor with adult singles, and there was no lack of ideas in those days for uh, adult singles ministry. Singles ministries were really taking off nationwide, and so I went to conferences, I listened to tapes, you know, to videos, I read books, I spoke to singles pastors and various, the various megachurches that surrounded us, you know, in Houston, Texas, all the successful churches. And I got a lot of good ideas, but it soon became pretty clear that I couldn't do it all. Felt like I couldn't even scratch the surface. Nor could I be like Steve Seelig, who was in charge of the singles at, at First Baptist Church, this mega church, and or Steve Bradley at Second Baptist Church. And so the first question I had to answer was, well, just who am I? Who am I? What's my call? What are my gifts? And after a long process, it boiled down to three things, that I need to focus on the Word and on prayer and on people. That's what did it for me. 
That's what energized me. That's what tapped into my deepest strengths that he had given to me. I need to focus on the word, prayer, and people. And God made it clear that it would all flow out of that. And I carry those priorities with me uh, to this day because they, they, they liberate me from, you know, the tyranny uh, of the urgent. They channel my intensities in a consistent and an effective way that for me has stood the test of time. Of course, we're also very unique with, very, with many different gifts and callings. And so it's different for different people. What's, that, that's being focused for me. For many of you, that might feel like it's just too general. I talked to one woman this week who feels called to ministries in the church that have trouble getting anyone to respond. God bless you. That's what turns her on. At least that's one of the first filters she passes it through. Um, if the need is made known, and after several months no one steps up to the plate, she seriously considers it. Others of you are called maybe to a type of people, like children, or women's ministries, or men's ministries, or uh, women who have crisis pregnancies, or prisoners, or to a type of ministry, like the ministry of encouragement to all types of people that God sends your way. Or ministries of mercy, like our benevolence ministry. And we'll be taking an offering for that at the end. Or the food bank. Or maybe for you it's music, like some of the, our brothers and sisters up here. Or, or, uh, or you know, behind-the-scenes service. We saw last time that William Carey's sister had the ministry of prayer. The key is to understand your gifts and to understand your calling and your unique, your unique circumstances. And sometimes that changes over time and you get in a rut and you get tired of one kind of ministry and you go through this trial and error process of finding another. Well, if you're doing that right now, don't give up. It takes time sometimes. It usually does. And so, uh, and so you start out by doing something. You're doing anything. And then uh, if you're not already, and He'll give you the direction. He can steer you uh, if you're moving. Rather than, you know, forever waiting for your day to come, you, you maybe just need to start seizing the opportunities that are staring in the face. And slowly but surely, you'll see where you're effective, where you're fruitful, where you're passionate. And more and more you'll find your niche. And we need to find our niche. It's called the principle of concentration. And when everyone in our, so many are scattered rather than centered, the principle of concentration is so important. It applies to everything from your spiritual calling to your career, where you try to keep building in the same direction based on who you are. And Paul well illustrates this. That'll keep you centered rather than scattered and burnt out. So to stay in shape, first you need to be focused. But second and finally, you need to be fervent. Fervent like Paul. It's, it's not like, you know, the focus you have when you watch TV with a remote in hand, right? A couch potato Christian. <laughs> Rather, it's like the focus you have, when, the fervency you have when you set your, put your hand to the plow. 
Paul was focused and fervent. He had a fervent focus. Listen. So that from Jerusalem round about as far as Illyricum, verse 1, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Thus I aspired to preach the gospel not where Christ was already named, that I might not build on another foundation. He, on and on it goes. This passage breathes with a fervent spirit. And you see it in all Paul's writings. Colossians 1.29, For this I exert all my strength, toiling and struggling, he said. 1 Corinthians 15.10, I labored even more than all the apostles. 1 Timothy 4.10, For this I labor and serve. And then in 1 Corinthians 15.58, he turns to us and he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, you do it too. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And then back to Romans 12.11, just three chapters ago, he says that we're not to be lagging behind in diligence. We're We're to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Last time we saw that the Spirit surges through a lowly identity that recognizes the source. But it also takes a laboring intensity that seizes upon it. Yes, do it in your own strength and you'll eventually dry up. But that doesn't mean you just let go and let God and wait for Him to take over. No, it's a both and. Because it's a laboring intensity through a laid-back identity that unleashes the power of God. You know, my father, Warren Myers, modeled this more than anyone I know. He was a pioneering missionary in Asia. And his life verse was Paul's, 1 Corinthians 15.10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. He recognized the source. By the grace of God, I am what I am. But His grace toward me did not prove to be vain. Is it proving to be vain in your case? And how do you make sure His grace does not prove to be vain? But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. There it is. Kind of reminds me of Eleazar. My dad always has. He passed away ten years ago. But one of the mighty men of David... I just love this image. It captures in one picture everything we've been talking about. Eleazar, uh, unfortunately, he, 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 his name was Eleazar, son of Dodo. But just take that off, and it, he's pretty impressive. Uh, he, he arose and struck the Philistines until his hand was weary and clung to the sword. Second Samuel 23.10, And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. Isn't that a paradox? A laboring intensity. That's the stuff of character. Good old-fashioned hard work. A laboring intensity with a humility that recognizes the source. That will turn you from a couch potato believer, from an armchair quarterback to a veteran, from a fat baby Christian to one who runs for the prize. One great English preacher of the last century put it this way. His name was John Watson. Listen carefully to this. Nothing so certainly narrows and impoverishes character as concentrating one's thoughts upon oneself. Just in proportion as a woman gives herself to a greater service, she becomes generous, gracious, loving, attractive. 
Just in proportion as she occupies her mind with her little ailments, her personal claims, her own comfort, her popularity, she degenerates into touchiness, pettiness, shallowness, and jealousy. If a young fellow, beyond the work that he must do, has no other concern but sport and his own pleasure, there is no hope of manhood for him. Nothing will come of him. He will simply be a weed in the garden of life. If the young man, though, throw himself into some public work, he will grow every day in intelligence, in capacity for affairs, in strength of will, and in personal self-respect. While he gives himself to service, the service reacts on him. It adds years of wisdom and strength to his life and makes him a true Christian and a citizen by its unconscious and penetrating influence. This I have seen and can testify from the experience of years. The surest safeguard against the corruption of selfishness is Christian service. It is the grace of God which makes character, but the grace of God works through means. And the reason why many people are cons- who are considered religious are so unchristian in their ways of thinking and speaking and acting, so uncharitable, so frivolous, so little, is that the action of grace in their souls has been hindered by their absorption in themselves. And then he concludes, the pores of their soul are clogged with self. And from January to December, they hardly ever give one intelligent thought to their neighbors and hardly ever render one service to the public life. Which will it be? Which will you be? An Eleazar, a mighty man or woman of God, or a fat baby Christian? As one man said, don't be like a wheelbarrow. It has to be pushed all the time if you're going to get it to do anything. And it's very easily upset. (laughs) Paul stayed in the Spirit by staying focused and by staying fervent. By staying in shape. And that's what we're talking about. In this year of going passionately, we must, we must never forget that we were saved to serve. Like so many of you do. To, to, to channel the grace of God that was poured out through our salvation. To say, flow, river, flow. To be rivers and not reservoirs. Kind of like they do at Summit County Rescue. Dan Burnett came up to me after Iron Hour on uh, Wednesday morning of this week. uh, He's been rescuing people for years with Summit County Rescue. And we we were talking about all this in Iron Hour. The question was, how do you stay spiritually fit? And about how if you found your sweet spot, if you're focused, you're far more likely to be fervent. There's a synergy between the two. And Dan said, you know, maybe this, he said, maybe this is kind of a picture or a parable of what you're talking about. And I said, well, can I use it Sunday morning after he said it? Because it's perfect. Here's what he said. He said, it really helps to stay. He said, Brian, let me tell you something. It really helps to stay in shape if you know that someone's life depends on it. To stay fit if you're 
passionate about what you're doing. And I could just see the passion in his eyes. That's a good part of his calling. God's worked mightily through Summit County Rescue and the believers who work there. That's exactly it. Find your God-given focus and you'll be fervent. Not lagging behind in diligence. Romans 12, 11. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And if you need any ideas about how to find your focus, your gifts, your calling, just come see me. I'd love to sit down over coffee and, and talk more about it. There are a lot of good tools out there. Father, we do want to thank you that uh, as we are singing about the life of Christ in our worship and the resurrection life of Christ, that we can stare death in the face knowing that we're going to the other side. Thank you that that life is not just for eternity, but for now, that you bring us to life in ways that are exhilarating as we make ourselves available to you and put our hand to the plow. Thank you for the degree to which that happens in this congregation. Pray, though, that we'd not rest in our laurels, but increase and abound in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, this is the third Sunday of the month, and we're going to be taking our benevolence offering. There's a number of people in our congregation who have that as their passion. They meet with the needy and and try to figure out how we can best help them. So if the ushers would come forward, this is our way of reaching out to the needy, both in our congregation uh, as well as in the community. So please uh, give generously. Well, why don't we all stand? We're exactly halfway through our 40-day congregational fast. I probably don't need to remind some of you of that. 
But I just want to say, way to go. We've had an incredible sign-up and uh, some great stories. And I'm going to be sending out an email uh, this week uh, that's going to be very important. So if you're not on our email list, please uh, please let me know and we'll get you on it. And uh, that'll come out halfway through this fast. Remember, we're fasting each meal that we fast. We're praying the spiritual warfare prayer, which is on the uh, welcome table. We're uh, praying for some breakthrough issue in the life of ourselves or our family or friends. And third, we're praying for the soul of someone that we're going to be inviting to the Easter service, those three things. If you'd like to find out more or talk more, any questions, I'll be at the welcome table. But go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be not just with us, but through us all this week. Amen and amen. Thanks for coming. Have a great week.